This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 15. Episode 51. This is Writing Excuses. Feedback. When to listen and when to ignore. With Mahatab Narsimhan. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Dan. I'm Howard. I'm Mahatab. And I'm Brandon, which I keep telling you, and I'd like you to take that feedback. (laughs) (laughs) So we talk all the time about how to give feedback, how to construct a good writing group, how to train your alpha and beta readers. And one of the points we hit on a lot is that what you're looking for at that feedback stage is reactions rather than specific prescriptive advice. But as one of our listeners pointed out in an email asking this question, prescriptive advice is incredibly valuable and we all do it and we all get it. And so we're we're clearly not saying ignore every suggestion that comes to you. What we need to talk about now then is how do you decide which pieces of advice you're going to listen to and which ones you're going to discard? When should you actively seek out that kind of specifically prescriptive feedback? So um, first idea is like, when do you seek it out? At what point do you say, hey, I need you to answer this question for me? Um, Approaching it from a different angle, until I have gotten reader reactions from someone and they've been able to articulate their reaction to me in a way that I understand, I'm not going to accept feedback from them. If someone hasn't yet told me that this scene made them feel a certain way, um, I'm not ready to accept their feedback on how to rewrite the scene. I want to know that you can tell me how you feel before you tell me how to rewrite the scene so that you feel what you're supposed to. Yeah, that's a, that's a, a good piece of advice. The one thing I do is I kind of arrange my readers by what type of advice I want them to give me. Uh, for example, uh, when I use a subject matter expert, um, I re- recently wrote a story about um, someone who's paraplegic. And I went and I hired um, several people <clears throat> to read the story. And to them, I said, you know, they were paraplegic. I said, I want you to tell me what I'm doing wrong and how to fix it specifically, um, how this differs from your life experience and life experience that you know other disabled people have. Um, and I, you know, I want you to tell me. For other readers, though, I'd say, I just want to know your reaction. Uh, I want to know if my characters are working and my story's working. The way you help me with that is by telling me you're just feedback emotionally. And I'm looking for different things from different people. From my editor, I want them to tell me what they suggest I do to fix a problem when they've noticed it. Because I might not take that, but there's a much better chance that I will take it um, when it comes from an editor who really knows what they're doing. Let me follow up on that uh, subject matter expert thing. Um, When you got feedback from them, how much of that feedback was just kind of the mechanics of daily life of, 
of, of with para, of someone who's paraplegic, and how much of that was the story or the characterization are broken, and here's how you can fix those. Because that seems like it kind of straddles that line between yeah. subject matter and storytelling. It was actually weighted toward the latter. Um, I would have thought it would be weighted toward the former, um, but those things are very easy to fix. When someone says, I, I usually keep a pole next to me so I can reach things and pull them across the desk to me. That's like, oh, that's really handy. I will do that. Um, that's an easy fix. But when um, they say something along the lines of, um, what piece of feedback I got on this piece, which was really helpful, was uh, a lot. all of them notice, they say, we work in a community. We talk to other people. Um, and a lot of people, write when they write a story, like I had done, they talk about this person in isolation, which is not how we do it. And it makes it seem like this person is the only person with who is paraplegic in the whole world. And again, that's very common. And I hadn't realized that's what you do. But of course, you're part of a community. I'm part of a community of writers. I'm part of a pe- community of people who, um, who share a faith with me. I'm part of a community of people who are parenting. We look for people who have a shared life experience so we can, so we can help each other. And, um, and this is something that I had done flat out wrong that required a really big revisitation of how I was viewing the character and the story, um, because it was just, it was flat out wrong. And that sort of thing was a harder revision, uh, but was also more surprising to me. And it's the sort of, I needed a subject matter expert to explain to me. Okay. You know, I would actually call those sensitivity readers. I mean, that's what happens when, you know, you're writing um, uh, at least uh, middle grade YA fiction and you're writing someone with whom you don't share the identity or a marginalized status or what have you. I mean, you just you do not have the similar background. That's when you get someone who we call like a sensitivity reader who's going to look at your story and and tell you, OK, this is what it is or this this is what you need to think about. As, as you rightly said, Brandon, you know, they're not in isolation. But sometimes when we're writing from an outsider's perspective, we almost make that kind of an issue story or, you know, the issue with that character is their disability or whatever. And sometimes having someone with that background read it almost gives you a whole different perspective because they do not see it as an issue because they're part of a community that, um, you know, where, where this is not the center stage you know, you can get other feedback from it. But just coming back to your point, Dan, as to when do you seek feedback, I when I've taken a story to a certain level and I can do no more with it is when I would actually send it out to my critique crew. And one of the good things is I, we, I have a group that has different strengths. So someone is really good with the big picture perspective. So they would like really look at the forest and there are some who actually look at the trees and they go down to the bush level and, you know, they will absolutely look at, uh, you know, the, the pacing and the plot and the characterization. So, you know, that's when you take the feedback uh, from these people, which is, of you know, a different each each one gives you a different idea or a different uh, facet of what your story is. And then once it comes back to you, I think the onus is on you uh, and, and it goes with your gut feel of, should I accept this feedback or shouldn't I? And if if it does not fit with your vision, no matter who's given it to me, I, I will probably not follow it. Okay, I uh, want to pause now. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. 
This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. For the book of the week, which we get from Howard. Yes. Um, it's not really related to the topic, but I really, really enjoyed Dan Rather's uh, book, What Unites Us. Um, Dan Rather has been a fixture in uh, American and, uh, let's, let's be honest, world news broadcast for, I want to say, 50 years, at least 40 years. And his experiences, it's, it's kind of a retrospective of, of the way he sees uh, the, the American nation and the people who are in it. And I, I really loved it. I needed it when I, when I listened to it. Um, I don't know if you do, uh, but the audiobook was, was quite good. And, uh, and that was the way I experienced it. So I can't speak to reading the words on the paper with my own eyeballs and brain. That's for, <laughs> that's for other people to discover. But the book is called What Unites Us by Dan Rather. Thank you. Now, the common thread between all of your comments in the first half of the episode were heavily kind of focused around this idea that you have curated your groups of people that you get feedback from and that you, when you look for specific feedback, you are trying to get it from specific people and for specific reasons. So let's talk just really quick about that. How do you find these people that you trust? Uh, not not talking about specifically subject matter ex- experts or sensitivity readers, but just in general. How do you find those people and how do you decide, yes, I trust what this person is going to tell me to do? Well, with beta readers in particular, um, <clears throat> them, it doesn't matter, right? Because I'm not asking them to tell me what to do. Um, and so the people who tell me what to do that I let, you know, that I'm looking for are professionals, right? Which is a different sort of thing. Um, I find my beta readers generally, um, they are people who have been long-term friends, people who are active in fandom or people that, um, other beta readers have recommended. We do that a lot. We try to add a few new people, every book that I do, um, and not have everyone do every book, right? So we have, we shake it up. And it's just um, a process of watching who makes astute comments on forum posts about the books, uh, who are active on a Facebook post. Those are the people I look for. But for alpha readers that are giving me direct, you know, fix this, um, I'm generally only looking at like my agent, my editor, my writing group for that. I think for me, um, I joined a lot of uh, organizations and again, they've got forums so you can connect with people on the forums and say, okay, I'm looking for, you know, I'm looking for a critique partner and, you know, everyone kind of just uh, exchanges emails and then goes for it. Uh, At least that's how I started with. But then over the years, um, I kind of got closer to a to a group of people because they write similar stuff that I do and I like their work and you know they like my work so we kind of broke off and formed our own groups but you know if you're looking in the children's uh, section you know SCBWI, Canscape, 
these are the, uh, at least for the US, it's SCBWI. If you join those groups, there are areas where you can exchange information, find critique partners. I would say start out with maybe a chapter or two, see what the feedback is like, see if you're, they're on the same wavelength as you are before you go deeper down the rabbit hole and then, you know, become good critique partners. Because sometimes, you know, what if you're not at a similar level or if the level of feedback that you're getting is not what you're looking for, then that relationship or that critique is not really helping you. So you also have to pick and choose. Don't just say yes to anyone who says they're going to give you feedback. That kind of audition process, Mm -hmm. so to speak, I think is really important uh, because... You know, we've talked before about how to find, you know, fellow writers and and form your little groups and things. But going through that kind of vetting process of saying, okay, you know what, I really like your feedback or you're giving me feedback that I don't think is valuable. That's a big step. And it, it can be difficult to say, you know what, this relationship isn't working. I think we should break up. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> there is... To to my mind, there is an easier and much lower pressure way to get to that point, and that is to socialize and I guess Zoom may be the way that we're doing this for the foreseeable future, socialize with people who write and who consume media that you consume and talk about the things that you're consuming, you know, if Dan and I both sit down and talk about the Mandalorian and I say, oh my gosh, it's my favorite star war ever because, because it's like a, it's like a cowboy movie star Wars. And I don't know what Dan's going to say about it, but if Dan's feedback about Mandalorian makes me feel like the two of us watched a completely different show, he's out of my group. (laughs) because Not because he's wrong, but because connecting might be so very, very difficult. Uh, Initially, for seeking feedback, I want to get feedback from people whose critiques I'm able to understand. You know, we both watched a movie and we both agreed, wow, the protagonist failed to protag for the entire first act. And by the time the second act showed up, we were, we didn't like him anymore. Um, and, and, and we both get them. Oh yes, this is someone I can, because when they critique my work, I'll be like, Oh, Oh yes, you're right. And when you prescribe something to me, I'm more likely to get it. Now that, that initially is going to create kind of a bubble and you want to branch out from that, but (laughs) start, start friendly first, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And it is a very tricky line to, to, to walk because you don't want to get into that feedback echo chamber. I, I always really value opinions that are different from my own because that, I think, is going to help me look for new solutions and, and new answers. But on the other hand, someone who is constantly suggesting ideas that don't fit with my style at all, that's not going to be valuable to me. And so it all comes back to this idea of just very carefully deciding who you're going to talk to, uh, you know, and, and well, I guess who you're going to get that prescriptive feedback from the person whose ideas are super different from mine. Yes. Give me all your reactions, please. 
But when it comes to how am I going to actually change this, that's when I do tend to rely on people who have similar sensibilities to my own. Or I would add, the further someone gets in the professional um, field of writing and storytelling, the more it seems they are able to help a story become a better version of itself rather than trying to push it one direction or another. That's not to say that all agents and editors are perfect at this or even, you know, all writing group members. But um, I've noticed that people who write a lot, for instance, Dan tends to be better at looking at one of my books and saying, here's what I think you're trying to do. Here's how to make it better. Where there are other people who are longtime writing group members of mine who like my books, who often give good feedback. If you give them a book that's outside their normal reading uh, comfort level, they'll give bad feedback on it. Um, Where I've never gotten bad feedback from Dan because as an industry professional, he reads a lot of things and even things he doesn't like, he can say, here's how I think you can make a better version of this thing that I don't necessarily like, uh, which is a really great skill for a storyteller to learn, I think. Uh, but it is it is not something you can expect from your average, even uh, writing group member, I think. I want to print up business cards that say, Dan Wells, I will help you make a better version of a thing that you're doing that I don't like, even <laughs> though you're doing a thing that I don't like. Where do I sign up? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but ju- just very quickly to say something about what you said, Dan, was uh, sometimes you can get the same feedback from the same group that you're with. So getting a totally fresh perspective, even if it does not gel with your own thinking, um, I-, I think is very valuable. But at the end of the day, you have to decide, am I taking it or leaving it? And that uh, re- decision rests entirely with you. So you just stay true to your vision, no matter who gives you feedback. Yeah. Well, you know, one and- of the things... Sorry, one of the things that Brandon said, um, the ability to say as, as, a, uh, as a critiquer, the ability to say, for instance, it feels like in this scene, you are presenting me with a red herring and you want me to feel, feel doubt about this and you want me to become convinced of this. Um, if that's the case, you need to punch this bit up more and punch that bit down a little bit in order to adjust the balance. Um, but if this isn't meant for red herring, whatever, then ignore everything that I said. Uh, I will give feedback like that to Bob all the time because I don't know where Bob's book is going, but I will tell him, hmm, um, this, is, this was my response and, and this is where I think maybe your, your levels need to be set. And Bob will smile and nod. And I have no idea if he's gonna take my advice or not but he knows what to do with it. So as a final word, I suppose more than anything else, I just want to give you as a writer permission to get prescriptive feedback, to take suggestions from other people. Uh, Don't feel like we have told you you're not allowed to. Uh, I do believe that at the end of the day, you know how to fix your story better than anybody else. But that doesn't mean that someone is not going to come along with a brilliant idea that will solve your problems for you. That does happen. And absolutely be open to those experiences. So let's uh, end with some homework from Howard. Okay. Bear with me. (laughs) You're going to want to do this with a friend. Okay. Step one, each of you prepare a quick written critique of a movie. Maybe one, I mean, they can be different movies, but 
something that you've, you've watched and and has problems that you're you're willing to critique. Now, share your critiques with each other. Swap them. Now, you take the critique that your friend gave of this movie. Oh, and when you wrote the critiques, you anonymized it. You didn't say like character name. You just say like protagonist or antagonist. Anyway, so you get this feedback from this movie. Now, file as many of the serial numbers off as you can, set it down next to your manuscript, and treat this bit of random, utterly random feedback as if it was aimed at your manuscript. Why are you doing this? So that you can see what absolute nonsense looks like with regard to your manuscript and so that you can have the broken watches right twice a day experience of, oh my gosh, that thing that you said about the Phantom Menace applies to my book. (laughs) It may seem really weird, but by doing this, what you're going to do is refine your filters for the sort of feedback uh, you receive. And it's going to knock you out of the box and, uh, uh, maybe make some of your writing better. I really like this homework. I think it is a cool idea to teach you how to sort through the value of a bunch of feedback. So cool. Anyway, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. This is Writing Excuses. You are out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production. Jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. Locus. 